Welcome to our second episode of the Infinite Hope Podcast, where we want to find and share hope in Boston and beyond. Each week, our team sits down with different experts, leaders, and practitioners to discuss some of the most pressing issues many of us and many throughout our communities are facing and what it looks like to live a life of infinite hope. Our first podcast was about finding hope in the midst of racial injustice. Future episodes will discuss personal anxiety and also parental anxiety. And today, we're talking about grief and loss. Our guests today are Dr. Sonny Taves and Pastor Scott Miller. Dr. Sonny Taves is the pastor of community care here at Grace Chapel. She brings a vast wealth of experience from her doctoral work in clinical psychology and her ongoing pastoral work. Scott Miller is the pastor of our online community, where he serves in many ways online and also in person. He's among the pastors that walks alongside people during challenging times, including grief and loss. And our host today is Pastor Stephen Ayakuru, who leads and serves our Watertown campus. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I'm here with uh, Dr. Taves and uh, Scott Miller. Welcome, Dr. Sonny Taves. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Scott. I am so honored and excited to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome, Scott Miller. He's on the show. Yes, we are very excited to be here coming to you live from my basement with my space heater intact to keep my feet warm and uh let's uh let's get into this episode that's great that's great thank you friends for being here and um yeah i'll start with you uh, dr taves uh, grief and loss in normal times is tough it's much harder to process and handle during a pandemic what are some of the griefs and losses you have seen or noticed well Stephen, um grief and loss happens all the time But this year, it has been a year of extreme grief and loss in so many different ways. As you stated earlier, we have had many lives lost due to the pandemic itself and a spiraling effect or a trickling effect that has occurred. We have seen divorces, separations, loss of jobs, which has led to loss of finances, homes, food, which then leads to loss of security, uncertainty, The not knowing has been really tough on many, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. And if you're going to get a next meal, how you're going to not only feed yourself, but your children and not being able to visit or see your loved ones and friends have been really, really tough, especially for our school age children and the elderly. I can't even imagine how this has affected our first responders and our medical community to see loss after loss. And that takes a holistic toll because it affects every aspect of one's being, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And can you also share a little bit of some of the losses you may have experienced before the pandemic or in the middle of the pandemic? Sure. Um, Personally, right before the pandemic, my family experienced the loss of our grandmother, which, which was really, really difficult. And during the pandemic, um, my father had to go in for an emergency surgery, which is, which was really scary because I knew that the family couldn't be with him during the whole ordeal. And they live in Ohio and I live in Massachusetts. And even if I wanted to fly there and be with him, I knew that that wasn't going to be possible. And we were really blessed that they let my mom see him and be with him after the surgery. Uh, But prior, he was alone for more than 12 hours. And that was just scary to know that he was alone and we couldn't be with him. 
And Scott, it's not just the significant losses, but simple things that made our lives feel normal. Some things we may have taken for granted, freedom to travel to see friends and relatives, walking into the door of a worship space and seeing someone smile, simple joys like giving and receiving a hug, taking kids to a park without being wanting to wipe all the playground spaces, washing groceries, canceling family vacations, grandparents not able to visit with their grandchildren. We want to say it's okay to name and process our grief. Scott, do you have something to say? Yeah, uh, I would say for us as a family, my wife, Marsha, and we have a two-year-old son, Jack, uh, with another one on the way, uh, be here in a couple of weeks. But um, when, the pan- when the pandemic hit, um, my wife is a nurse anesthetist, and so she's not on staff at a hospital per se. She's actually self-employed, so she is contracted at various different places. And so when the pandemic started, uh, you can imagine elective surgeries were put on hold. And so first for us as a family, we were now dealing with the, um, the financial hardship of her not being able to work. And at that time, because she wasn't on staff, um, she wasn't getting paid for the time being home. So we were in the midst trying to process through that and handle that. Uh, the one thing we were clinging to uh, back in March was that we were excited about uh, we were pregnant and we were about eight to 10 weeks in. And so amidst the financial hardship, we were, you know, allowing that to be the thing that kind of gave us hope and joy in those days. And as the pregnancy went along, I remember my wife telling me, you know, something just doesn't feel right. And uh, as she got closer and to her 12 week appointment, and then for that appointment, I wasn't able to be with her in the room. And so she goes in and and come to find out that uh, she had had a miscarriage. And so, not only then does that become a new dynamic in our family, but just also from a husband's perspective, grieving the fact that that information was revealed and I couldn't be there with her. I mean, I showed up outside in the parking lot to be there when she came out, but uh, kind of walking through those things uh, these last, you know, 10 months to a year, um, it's been it's been a challenge for us as a family. Hmm. Yeah. And Scott, do you, uh, um, I guess... Um, I'm glad we get this space to talk about this and to name and process our grief. Uh, do you have anything to say? How do you resp- how does someone respond to that? Yeah, I appreciate the question, Stephen. Uh, for me, I would say, I think so often we can kind of play comparisons when we think of grief and loss, right? And you know, I share that, and it's a it's a pretty big thing. And others can think, well. Maybe I shouldn't complain or shouldn't mention what I'm going through uh, because it's not on the same level. Like we create this, uh, this narrative for ourselves. But what I would say, what I found is that in some ways, I feel that because of all of us uh, that are walking through this, right, it, ha- it has the opportunity to help us relate and empathize and do life together. Knowing that you're not alone helps us to find common ground, right? Being able to say to someone, I am with you and I get how hard this can be, uh, can be really a profound statement amidst the pain we find ourselves in. And what I've noticed is when I'm willing to be vulnerable and to share how I'm struggling with this, people are willing to share their own struggles and how they've been working through them. Being willing to let people in has been a great way to build a deeper sense of relationship with others. 
And Dr. Taves, uh, it seems like 2020 has pushed all of us beyond what we thought we could manage or handle. And the scope and impact of grief on us really invites us to have this space again. Um, and experts are warning that it will take up to two to three years for us to begin to see a recovery. The pandemic has amplified our sense of loss and increased our shared grief experiences. Now, recently, one expert from the New York Times said, unacknowledged and unheard pain doesn't go away. The way to survive grief is by allowing pain to exist, not in trying to cover it up or rush through it. Yeah, that's correct, Stephen. The goal is to allow and to give ourselves permission to feel and not to hide our feelings and emotions. We definitely don't want to rush through it uh, because we don't want it to be hurrying up and, and getting rid of the feelings because they hurt too much. When we don't want to think about or feel something that hurts us or bring us uncomfortable pain, we try to stuff them deep inside and try to keep them there locked away, or we try to ignore them in the hopes of not feeling things that bring us discomfort. And the side effect to this is that instead, we harbor up other emotions such as anger, frustration, and sometimes ambivalence because we don't allow ourselves to feel or cope with the pain. And another side effect can be seclusion where we ignore those around us and exclude ourselves from family and friends so that there is no expectation to feel anything and those around us don't have to see us in pain. But as human beings, we're very blessed with a wide range of emotions and are created to feel a variety of sensations and emotions, both good and bad. And when we don't allow ourselves to feel the necessary emotions and feelings, we uh, often do harm to our well-being. People need to feel safe enough that they won't be judged, fixed, or even blamed if they choose to share their pain and share their grief. Safe space matters. A supportive environment fosters healing. Dr. Taves, will you explain to us the stages of grief so that we may have a better understanding of what people may be experiencing during this time? I would love to. Uh, Kubler-Ross came up with the five stages of grief that is commonly referenced. And although the stages are primarily regarding those who have lost a loved one, we can utilize it for all kinds of losses. And these stages of grief, they should be considered as tools and insight for how we may frame how we are thinking and feeling. And we do not go through these stages in any order or go through all five of the stages. We may skip around the different stages and be at one stage for a longer time than others. And we may even not go through uh, one of the stages, and that's okay. The stages are specific to our own special way of grieving. The first stage uh, is referred to as denial. So when one passes away, we are often left in shock, confusion, and numbness. We end up pushing our feelings and emotions into a box and not wanting to believe what just occurred. And this allows us to cope and survive during this time. It's necessary. And we often are not ready to accept the loss and process the shock of what had occurred. And during this stage, we need to be given time and patience. And especially this stage, it cannot be rushed. The second stage is uh, anger. So pain is deeply connected to anger. It's when we start to feel the pain of the loss. And what we had been stuffing into a box, it starts to seep out. And often uh, we may lash out, 
blame ourselves or others. Uh, we start to feel the emotions of the loss that were deep inside of ourselves. And sometimes it's frightening because it's coming out in a way that normally it wouldn't come out that way. Um, and so because we kept it pushed inside of ourselves for some time, the emotions may all bubble up and explode like a volcano, or it may come out as irritability, harshness, or indifference. And during this stage, understanding that this isn't personal and that the person is starting to feel the pain of the loss is really important. And being supportive and letting the person continuously uh, know that we are present for them uh, when and if they need to talk is very, very critical. So the third stage is bargaining. We try to bargain or make promises with God for better results and for a better outcome. So for example, you know, God, if you allow my marriage to work out, I promise to pray five times a day, or I promise not to do this, or I promise to do this. This is something that makes us feel better by giving the false notion of hope. So in this stage, we are grappling, grappling with some sort of hope to make things better. And when we see someone bargain, we have to recognize that they are not deviating from the norm or acting strange, but the fact that they are trying to grasp for anything that will make mm -hmm. them feel better and that may help to resolve the situation. Um, and so a lot of the bargaining is we want a better outcome and we want to find hope in something. Um, the next stage, um, stage four, is depression. So these are depressive symptoms such as lack of motivation to do things, changes in eating, um, such as you may be eating less or you may be eating more, changes in sleep patterns, sleeping more or sleeping less, just feeling like you have less energy, feeling sad a lot of the times. And this is different from being clinically depressed, uh, which we will talk about more later. And the fifth and last stage is acceptance. In this stage, we're able to give ourselves permission to heal by allowing ourselves to move on to making new memories, new relationships, while not feeling guilty, and while being able to look back and be grateful and or learn from the past memories. We understand that we can't replace what was lost, but we are aware that we are able to make a new kind of normal, which may be different, but one that will be okay. And during this stage, we want to continue walking and supporting the individual. However, we have to be careful to go at their pace and not the pace that we think is right for them. We have to be careful not to rush the person. Wow, that is, uh, that's pretty awesome stuff right there. Honestly, I have never known the different stages of grief. And I, I'm just wondering, you know, how does knowing what stage you're in, um, how would that be helpful and kind of move people along towards getting help? Uh, Scott, that's a really good question. Um, being aware of the different stages may be helpful because it helps to normalize what you're feeling or what you may be going through. During such a difficult time of grief and loss, it's so easy to feel that no one else understands you and will never truly know what you are going through. And although we will never truly understand, experience, or feel what an individual goes through during a loss, there are some general common things that are similar, such as the five stages that were explained earlier. And it helps one to feel less alone or feel different in the process. 
and it helps one to feel understood. So, Dr. Taves, as we are kind of unpacking that, all of us, not only in these days, but in life in general, kind of walk through and experience grief. You know, what is different or unique about grief and, and what is it that people just don't understand? Well, um, Scott, I read a book where a, a question was asked by an author, Earl Grillman. The question was, what do you think is the worst kind of grief? And the answer wasn't something that was so unique and mind-blowing that you wouldn't have guessed it in a million years, but it was something very simple yet profound for, uh, for many because we don't allow ourselves to think like that. The answer was your own grief. Think about this, your own grief. This is such a powerful answer because all of our grief and loss, no matter how big or small the world may think it is, it is unique and special to us because it is intertwined with our own experiences and relationships. No one is going to grieve in the same way we do. Members of a family who are grieving the same loss will go through it in a very different manner. And guess what? That is completely normal and is, it is completely okay and healthy. We can't and we shouldn't judge others because we don't think they are measuring up in how they are grieving and that they aren't grieving the way we think they should be grieving. You know, and I keep repeating this over and over again, but grief and loss, it is so unique and special to each individual. And that is okay, that is healthy, and that's completely normal. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like um, the way I grieve is not the same way uh, my colleagues grieve. I each person have to find their way of processing the loss that they're going through. So um, this is very helpful, very helpful. Um, what is, uh, I guess, my other question, my follow-up question would be, what is different or unique about grief? What is it that people don't understand? Well, you know, I think we also have to talk about what the emotional tour impact yeah. would be for not going through the grieving process. You know, not grieving can take a heavy holistic toll because every aspect of you may be effect affected. Physically, you may grow weaker because you aren't eating well or exercising. Mentally, you may grow in anxiety because all you are thinking about is the loss and allowing it to replay in your mind over and over again. And you may find yourself having difficulty concentrating, which may cause accidents that are not only detrimental to you, but to others. And emotionally, you may become clinically depressed uh, in which you need to seek professional help. And you're finding yourself unable to function day to day and may begin to isolate yourself from friends and family. You may find yourself sleeping or not sleeping for most of the day and having uh, a reduced appetite or an increased appetite, which leads to weight gain or significant weight loss. You may be having thoughts of hurting yourself or wanting to end your own life because it's just too hard to move on or to cope. And you may not find pleasure in most things or activities or find yourself unmotivated to do most things. And you may be tired for most of the day and sad, angry, or irritable. You may feel empty and hopeless. And so if you find yourself in this state, please reach out to a medical professional 
or a professional therapist to help you cope and process. So you're not doing this alone. And they may help you find necessary insight and tools to help you move forward. And it's very, very important to note that there is no shame or judgment in asking and receiving help for depression. And also, this affects spirituality. You know, spiritually, you may begin to question God and feel abandoned or not loved by Him. You may not want to have anything to do with God because you're angry and blame Him for allowing the loss to happen. And guess what? God can take it. God can handle it. And so... You know, it's exhausting, so exhausting to hold on to your grief and allowing yourself permission to receive help and support from others is a healthy and normal process that will help with the burden that one is carrying. I I do appreciate uh, you giving us some handle how we can reach out and get some help. It seems to me like we're craving a more helpful, supportive, listening and hopeful culture today and for several years to come. So based on your experiences, what are some helpful ways or other helpful ways for walking with folks who are grieving and experiencing loss? Well, Stephen, a good way to walk with those who are experiencing grief and loss of some sort is to be present and to be present consistently. I I wanna really uh, say that again, to be present consistently. If you are talking with them over the phone, don't multitask while listening on the other line, but be present with them and give them your undivided attention. If you're meeting with them in person, make good eye contact. Show them that you are listening to them and give them support, such as picking up their children from school, picking up some groceries, dropping off some pre-made food so they don't have to worry about cooking, And you may want to check in on them regularly and consistently or sending them a card or letter to show that you're thinking of them. Being present and listening is so important so that the other person feels heard and understood. And, you know, it's it's important to allow silence to occur, although it may feel awkward. That's okay because you're sitting with them and you're present with them. And most importantly, it is your presence that is most important during this time. Because what tends to often happen is that friends and family uh, tend to gather around someone who has suffered a loss and is grieving within the first week. And as the week starts to pass, people start to also fall off the grid and disappear. So after a month, only a few remain sporadically. And as the month turns into two or three months, they're left with hardly anyone there. And this is what makes it harder for someone because the shock and numbness, it starts to wear off more and more. And loneliness and the reality of what has just occurred have set in. But now no one is there to be present or provide support. And prayer should not be forgotten throughout this whole process. We should pray for our brothers and sisters who feel at a loss. And it's important to lift them up to our father, who is the ultimate healer and counselor. Mm. Now, Dr. Taves, I want to I want to be uh, vulnerable for a moment as I ask this next question because I remember quite a few years ago, my wife was telling me she was very anxious, <laughs> and I remember telling her, 
you just need to be happy, dear. Like you, there's no reason to be anxious. God, God's, God's, God's got this. You just, you know, it, it'll be fine. So I guess uh, it would be really helpful. You know, what, if you could answer this question for me and for us, uh, what are some things we shouldn't say to someone who is grieving? Yeah, well, Scott, thank you so much for um, saying that. I think um, you really put yourself out there and you were so vulnerable. And I think we've all made that uh, mistake or that error of saying something, um, but saying it in the wrong way. (laughs) People often say things or make remarks usually out of concern, right? And like you were saying, you were concerned for her. However, many of the statements... Um, They can do more harm for someone who is grieving or going through something. And some of the things that are said that one should not say when one is uh, grieving um, is, uh, I'll I'll kind of go in order. There are quite a few. I've I've just picked some. (laughs) Um, You need to get over it and get on with your life. (laughs) Another one is, you're headed down a dark path if you keep this up. Another one is, it has already been several months. It's time to move on with your life. You need to step out of it already. Why aren't you doing anything about it? And um, another one is, why aren't you trying hard enough? And And this one, I think, is pretty common. I know how you must feel. It was for the best. And, you know, and this is a big one. Uh, Time heals all wounds. You'll be okay. It's not that bad. I've I've heard worse. Mm. And another one, you'll be fine. At least they didn't suffer. They're at peace right now. You're a strong person. I'm sure you can handle it. And lastly, you're a Christian. You shouldn't worry about it. You have your faith. Well, these statements are dangerous because they make assumptions and makes the person feel guilty, shameful, angry, misunderstood, and resentful. And people in nature, we want to fix and make everything and everyone feel better. However, this causes more harm because people do not need to be fixed. Instead, they need compassion, understanding, and patience. We were created to care for and support others in need. In return, God created others to care for us and support us in our time of need. And I think we just need to uh, try to be more mindful and intentional of what we say, especially during a time of grief and loss. Wow, that list uh, makes me feel um, sad, uh, frustrated, uh, because I find myself maybe I've said these things on one occasion or another uh, to folks, to friends, to neighbors, and hopefully this will be a great reminder of what my responsibility is to get better at being present with people who are grieving. Now, I do appreciate you, Dr. Taves. You've said, uh, you've walked us through each stage, and it's different and personal for each person because people don't grieve in a linear fashion. What are some myths out there that can be harmful in addition to what you just shared about the things we say? 
Yeah, Stephen, um, there are actually many, many myths out there regarding grief and loss. Um, because there are so many and we have time restraints, <laughs> I'm only going to talk about three uh, right now. Um, the first one, if you aren't crying enough, you aren't really grieving. Um, this myth is definitely not true. As we had stated earlier, people grieve in different ways, and this includes crying. We also have to take one's culture into account. Many different cultures have uh, many different ways of grieving. And crying doesn't mean you love the person more or are grieving more compared to someone else who is crying a little bit or not crying at all. Um, the second one, if you continue talking about the loss, you are making the pain last longer than usual. You know, this myth is very common. People don't want to bring up anything that they feel is going to make you feel more or think about the pain and the loss. Um, this is also very untrue. Talking about the loss and expressing your emotions help you process and it allows you to feel what you need to in order to start the healing process. And this is considered healthy. Um, the third one, if you are a strong Christian, you shouldn't be sad because of your faith. This is definitely not true. We can have faith and still be sad about our loss. It doesn't mean we are not good Christians. Instead, it shows that we are faithful in God to walk with us during our grief and hardships and that he loves us, especially during our most vulnerable states. Well, I feel like for me in this moment, everything you said so far from the stages of grief to things not to say to the myths out there, man, I've got a lot of, a lot of room for growth, so, but it's encouraging. Thank you so much for sharing, sharing all this stuff so far because, you know, grief is not a destination, right? It's a, it's a journey that takes on so many shapes. Uh, it's not a one size fits all, you know, it may, may come in whatever form and may take as long as needed. Um, we do well when we become curious about people's journey and ask them how we can be present to them in their grief and loss. And so, uh, Dr. Taves, what are some helpful ways to know that someone is moving in the right direction in the grieving process? Well, Scott, some helpful ways to know that someone is moving in the right direction um, is usually when they begin to open up and talk about their loss. They share memories, their feelings, their guilt, their, their emotions. And they begin to slowly join in on activities, support groups, uh, family friend gatherings. You begin to see engagement. You might hear from them wanting to talk, grab lunch, go to the movies, or for you to just be present with them. And they begin to reach out when they need support help because they are having a difficult time. So you might have not heard from them for a long period of time. And then you might receive a text or an email or a phone call saying, hey, you know, do you want to hang out? Or, hey, I, I need you. I need you to be uh, supportive. I need your presence. And once they are able to kind of uh, initiate that, um, that's also a sign that um, they're moving in the right direction. 
That's very helpful. That's very helpful because uh, some of us want to jump so quickly to seeing people feeling better soon, and uh, it takes time and just taking their cues that they're moving in the right direction is very helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Is there Are there places where we can find help that you could share with us, Dr. Taves? Yes. um, As every individual grieves differently, everyone copes and finds hope and healing in different ways. And it's important to find what may work for you. And so here are some suggestions that you may want to explore that might be helpful. So finding a quiet time of prayer and scripture reading. Um, journaling. Uh, journaling is really helpful in writing down all that you're thinking, all that you're feeling. And if you, especially if you don't feel that you're ready to talk with someone, um, journaling can be a great way for you to initiate uh, the process. And listening to or writing music has been helpful for people, exercising, reading, Um, Just finding any activity or a hobby that helps you to express yourself. Um, Definitely finding a therapist to talk to, drawing, painting, and uh, finding a support group or someone you trust to meet with. That's good. It's pretty uh, spot on when you say finding a support community or others that you can can be uh, with through through these moments because you know there's there I think we all need community um, obviously in these days maybe it's more virtual than in person but we we all long for that right uh, people who have gone through pain uh, can provide the best space to process walk with and walk with us through it supporting one another gets us to a place for uncovering purpose and meaning you know, being a pastor here on staff at Grace Chapel Church, you know, it, it is a place where we can bring our grief stories, um, pain point experiences, and our losses. We, we welcome everyone and offer space and community and pastoral help. You know, we aspire to be a community where all of us from various backgrounds and painful experiences have the freedom and space to address our pain, uh, believing there's someone greater larger and more able to help us and heal our wounds and while we find community with others. Well, really, this is very helpful and uh, helps us also turn the corners. How how do we, uh, we do want to give our listeners some good news, some hopeful news and grieving can be an arduous, sometimes a long, emotionally demanding and overwhelming experience to navigate. Dr. Taves, why is hope so important? Oh, Stephen, um, hope gives us a solid foundation, an anchor to hold on to during a difficult time. And I think it's important to remember that hope lies uh, within our Father in heaven who loves us to the fullest. And we forget that Jesus felt emotions. And the Bible shows us these examples. And in John eleven thirty five, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus was devastated with emotions because of his friend Lazarus. And if Jesus can show raw, honest emotions, why can't we? We have to remember that grieving is a natural process full of a rainbow of emotions. And we experience these emotions and feelings in different ways that are unique to us 
in our situations and experiences. We don't and shouldn't need to hold back on our emotions because we think it may make others around us feel uncomfortable. We need to give ourselves permission to grieve, to feel, and to heal. And hope gives us a grip on life and helps us to know that God is with us, that we will persevere, and that we are not alone. And so I want to emphasize that you are not alone. That's great. That's helpful. And um, hope can also be grounded in a story of recovery or healing or seeing someone make their way through the journey of grief and pouring out their heart and healing and moving on with life. Uh, Scott, do you have any stories, personal stories about hope that you would be willing to share with us to give us a sense of uh, that it's possible to be remain hopeful? Yeah, Stephen, uh, thank you for the question. Um, about a year ago, I was uh, just speaking at a men's breakfast at our church, and uh, afterwards, a gentleman pulled me to the side and just wanted to talk, and he had all sorts of questions about my life and God and making sense of things. Uh, he had been through some really hard times, um, had lost a job, uh, had lost uh, a marriage, had gotten divorced, and was just in a, in a tough place. And as we began to kind of share our life with one another, our life stories, um, come to find out that we uh, both had been going to the same Christian counselor uh, for, for at various times over the years. And um, as we kind of got towards the end of our conversation, uh, he mentioned that he was going to kind of pursue getting back in contact with that counselor. And, you know, we kind of vowed to each other to stay in contact and just, you know, check in and see how life was going. And so over the course of the next few months after that uh, initial conversation, you know, he shared with me that he was getting back um, into therapy and kind of just trying to uh, pursue God and, and see what God had for his life. And, you know, we just continued to uh, communicate via email. And then I remember one Sunday morning, um, I was by the front door, uh, kind of just greeting people. Um, and all of a sudden I see him um, and he's with a woman and they're coming into the church and um, he comes in with a big smile on his face. He recognizes me and come, comes over to me um, and, and introduces me to his wife, the wife that um, he was divorced and uh, away from and that they were on the path of reconciliation and uh, they were here to worship together in church. And um, it's a story like that that reminds me that even amidst his grief and loss, um, that he never won, he never lost hope. Um, but number two, as he uh, found support um, and found others to be present with him and walk with him, um, that God did just something beautiful in that situation. And so for me, even in our own personal uh, grief and loss, as I shared earlier, you know, I, I reflect back on those stories in those moments, those hard moments. And uh, those are the things that help me to recognize that uh, the moment may not feel hopeful, but there is still hope to lean into. So, Dr. Taves, do you have any stories you you want to share with us? Yeah, um, you know, hope is also very different for people, right? And you don't realize it's there until you kind of come out of this fog and realize that hope was there all along. And so, especially during times when uh, I was grieving, you know, 
sometimes you feel like I, I'm never going to go through this. I'm never going to get through this. This is too hard. You kind of uh, weave in and out of like this fog of some days you're okay, some days you're not. Um, and, you know, I was so grateful that I was given the space and the time uh, to process it, to begin the healing process. And I think for me, the hope was knowing that um, that no matter what stage I was in or kind of where I was at emotionally, um, that my, my church was going to be there for me, uh, my friends were going to be there for me, and my family. And mostly um, that God, no matter what, uh, was always present. Was I always happy with him? No. Um, sometimes I was angry and mad. And, you know, God heard a lot of things from me. Um, but I knew that he was present and that he could handle everything that I threw at him. And, you know, when I look back at it now, you know, I'm so grateful. And, you know, just to my friends, to my family, that that they allowed me that time. And, uh, you know, that hope was that foundation of knowing that no matter what, that I would have that support at the end. Well, I do appreciate all this. Uh, for you spending time talking about this, I'm, the hope that I can see is uh, I can see myself get better and grow in how I'm present with people who are going through loss and be a better husband, better dad, better friend, better leader, better pastor, and uh, better colleague. So thank you so much for that. Uh, and uh, Dr. Tapes, is there anything else that we need to know that you want us to know? Is there anything else you think is important for us to know? Yes, Stephen. Um, I think resources um, are important for us to know. Um, so Grief Share, it, it's a national organization that offers uh, a Christian grief support group. And you can find more information on their website, which is griefshare.org. And you can find groups that are going on right now, even through the pandemic, uh, in your own town. And for Grace Chapel, uh, we will begin our spring semester of Grief Share on March 18th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Um, you can contact me at staves at grace.org, S-T-O-E-W-S at grace.org for more information. Or you can go on our website, grace.org. And we also have Stephen ministers available to walk with you during your grief. There are lay leaders, uh, lay volunteers from Grace Chapel who have gone through an extensive 50 hours of training and have been commissioned to be called Stephen Ministers. And you can also contact me for more information. And for those who are going through difficulties with cancer, uh, we have our Encourage group. Um, encourage support group. And, you know, we also are blessed with a celebrate recovery group for those who may be dealing with hurts, habits, and hangups. And hope in our God, hope in our church, hope in our family and friends. That really anchors us in knowing that we're not alone is really important. And that while you grieve a loss, you know, I really want to emphasize that it's a normal process for there to be an ebb and flow, a continuum of different emotions and feelings that may come up. And 
And, you know, I, I believe that grieving is a lifelong process. You know, you may be okay one day and something might, you might see something or someone or hear something or a memory might pop up and it might take you back to that time and that place. And that's all normal. And no one is going to be 100% okay. Oh, okay, you've grieved for three years. Now you're good. You know, it doesn't work like that. And so, you know, if you have any questions or you're just trying to process all this information, you know, I would love for you to reach out to uh, one of us, you know, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Scott, or myself. We're, we're so happy to answer any questions or, or concerns or to sit with you and talk with you and listen. Thank you, Dr. Taves. Uh, we're so uh, grateful for you spending this time with us. And uh, yeah, have a blessed week. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening today. If we can help in any way or point you to a resource or offer support, know that we would love to connect with you. We want to serve you in the midst of these anxious times in finding help, healing, and infinite hope. Stay tuned for our next episode as we explore finding hope in our personal anxiety. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Spotify. Please leave a review so we can spread the word. And visit our website, grace.org, for more resources. Grace and peace to you.